welcome to Fieldlink. I'm your host, Bill Smith. In this week's episode, we're going to visit with Dr. Michael Kenty. He'll talk to us a little bit about what's in your tank as we get ready for planting season and growing season for many growers across the United States. We need to be thinking about what kind of carrier we're going to have inside of our tank and the importance of water and the quality of that water. He'll visit with us about Aqualens, a new tool from the Agri-Intelligence team. Then we're going to shoot over to Nashville, Tennessee, and visit with Jody Lawrence as he shares some insight on the grain markets on how that may be impacting your bottom line. And then finally, we're going to head out west to visit with one of our agronomists and learn about how the future may already be here as we explore how agronomy and agri-intelligence come together to provide growers solutions for the future. Stay tuned for FieldLink. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the FieldLink podcast. Today's episode is dedicated to water. As you all know, water is a very, very important uh, piece of our lives. We need it to drink, uh, to grow plants, uh, uh, and just generally for the entire life cycle. So we're going to focus on water today and to help us better understand the complexity of water and how it can impact the production of, of, of agriculture, uh, and also impact a little bit about uh, how water can impact uh, the herbicides that you use, the insecticides that you use, as well as the fungicides. Joining us is Dr. Uh, Michael Kenty, who's a product specialist in Memphis, Tennessee for the Southern Business Unit at Helena. And uh, Michael, welcome to FieldLink. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Well, Michael, uh, you know, lots going on in the area of water uh, this year. It doesn't matter where you live. Uh, You know, lots of drought is certainly taking place. And, uh, you know, there's always going to be complexity when it comes to irrigation management, uh, just general water in itself. But there are some things we can control uh, when it comes to managing water. But before we get into the weeds of better water, uh, managing our water as it relates to utilizing that carrier for herbicides, let's tell, tell, tell the audience a little bit about you. Where's, where's home and uh, where'd you grow up? What's your story? Well, I'm based in, I live in Collierville, Tennessee, been up here, I think I moved up here in 95 when I took a job with American Sinai, but I began uh, my life as an Air Force brat, um, which back in the day, I think that was a good thing. Um, I was forced to learn to make friends quickly because moved almost every year. It was rare that I spent two years in a school, um, but as I got towards high school, I chose to quit Followed my father around and asked my grandparents because I live kind of have a foundation. So I moved to Greenville, Mississippi, which was home for about 17 or 18 years. Um, the family pushed me into pre-med. And fortunately, one of my grandfather, who was a surgeon's patients, was a soybean breeder. And he introduced me to ag, the science side of ag. And so took that route um, and you know, got a BS in agronomy at Mississippi State, followed with a master's in uh, integrated pest management at Delta State, and then a doctorate in uh, genetics at um, University of Florida. And career-wise, while I was working on uh, master's, I was worked for Sandoz, which is uh, part of it is uh, 
is in BASF now. The majority of it is part of the Syngenta uh, company. Um, I left there, was a soybean breeder for about 10 years, um, and then decided to go back into what I call the killing side of the business where I'd started and went to work for American Sandman. And they, um, they disbanded and sold off to BASF, and I came to work for Helena in 2000 to manage our nutritional products in the Southern Business Unit. And then in 08, I was asked to manage the killing portfolio, and now I'm kind of doing both, <clears throat> uh, killing and, and uh, production side. And uh, so, Michael, you clearly got a lot of experience, you know, in agriculture. You covered a lot of geography uh, for Helena over the years. Um, and, you know, today we're going to talk a little bit about water and water management, specifically about a product called AquaLens. While, you know, we certainly catch the news all of the time, uh, learning about the drought monitor, and we've got certainly, you know, some, some tough times uh, in certain parts of the country, West Texas, and certainly uh, up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, you know, things are pretty dry in, in certain markets. Well, we're not going to really focus on irrigation today and get necessarily that side of the business as it relates to water. We're going to talk about water management when applying chemistry uh, to our crops and and the importance. And boy, uh, managing water today uh, in in your tank is as critical as ever been, especially with some of the, uh, the challenges and shortages we have in some of our chemistry. So Michael, would you tell us a little bit why growers should really take a look at a product like AquaLens? to better understand the quality of water that they have in their tank. Water is the predominant carrier of all the um, inputs from herbicide, insecticide, fungicide, and even nutritional products and bio, uh, uh, bio-nutritional products that growers apply, predominantly foliar, but sometimes, um, you know, in furrow at planting. And with water being the the main carrier, um, most growers until recent years, you know, assume water's water's clear, looks fine, nothing's wrong, but there's a, um, a lot of, there's I think it's seven or eight different traits that water has that can impact how your herbicide performs, your insecticide, your fungicide, or even a nutritional. So, um, if you don't test your water, you don't know what you're starting with, um, just going about the normal, okay, I'm going to use this herbicide, I'm going to use this insecticide, you're, if you're not addressing water issues that impact that chemistry, you're wasting money. Um, you're creating scenarios where you'll have to retreat because of uh, lack of performance, or you're creating scenarios where you can actually have partial kill, which can ultimately lead to resistance. Um, which is a whole other um, aspect of it. Um, it's 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 kind of funny when we when Helena started going down this path, uh, analyzing water for suitability of irrigation was kind of second nature to people that irrigate. But you talk to them about well, what about your spray water for your herbicide? Oh, the water's fine for that. So, if and, and the part of the problem is. Basic suppliers may, you know, on their labels, they may talk about you, you know, might need to adjust the pH, 
But beyond that, there's not much discussion. It's like they're not paying attention to the chemistry in the water. The University Extension Center uh, um, centers until recent years have not paid much attention to water quality, but and especially in the past two years, it seems all the universities in the market that I cover um, and most of the basics are asking questions, trying to learn, um, and then in turn help the customers uh, learn how to get the you know maximum performance out of what they're applying. So, I mean, it's simple fix. Take us take a, a water sample. Uh, we use. Uh, Waypoint Labs in Memphis for our business unit, um, and then they, they analyze the data and we produce a report in Aqualens, and then that tells you what's wrong, and then once you understand what's wrong, you can start addressing um, the specific water traits to maximize that herbicide application or insecticide or fungicide. Yeah, and I think it's really important for growers to, to, to really understand, you know, you're making a a big investment in your herbicide or nutritional or insecticide or fungicide. And boy, this understanding your carrier and, and really what, you know, what makes up that water is very important for the full, I guess, for you to extract the entire investment out of it. There's a lot of science in that chemistry. And boy, this is just that final step to really ensure that you're getting the most, you know, the best performance, I guess, out of that, uh, that particular herbicide or that insecticide. Exactly. In a year like even last year, 2021, but especially 2022 with supply constraints on, you know, major products like glyphosate, colethodum, uh, some of it, some of the insecticides. If, if you're just going in blindly, um, you know, doing a two, 10 gallon per acre load or 15 gallon per acre load, or even by air or two gallon per acre load, and not addressing the water quality, um, for example, with clethodum. Uh, we have a product called Tap Out. There's all kind of other clethodums. They all have an Achilles heel. If there are carbonates and bi or bar bicarbonates in the water, which you can usually associate with uh, elevated pH over six, six and a half, you can make the application, but because of the carbs and bicarbs, you may only get 50% control of the grass. So that's not cost-effective for the grower. It can lead to uh, resistance to clethodum if you give a sublethal dose, and all you got to do is drop the pH to get it acidic below 6, and the problem goes away. Um, you know, the carbs and bicarbs don't. The, the chemical definition is is a little more detailed, but they basically disappear. And, and a good analogy of addressing that is if you drink a carbonated beverage, whether it's a, a Coca-Cola or a, a Michelob Bolt or something, you drink enough of it, the acid in your stomach is going to make you release the carbon dioxide, you know, by burping. What dropping the pH in water basically does the same thing. The, carb the carbonates and bicarbonates gas off. So the spray tank basically burps. And you don't have those to interfere with the efficacy. You, you're going to get 90, 100% um, utilization of what you're applying. So you're saving money. 
you're avoiding a re, uh, retreatment. Um, and that's just, you know, the carbonates, bicarbonates, and, and clethem is just one of the many uh, products that we use in day-to-day -day operations on most farming operations that could benefit from knowing what's what the water contains and then what you're going to spray and then how to address the issue and maximize efficacy and prevent any uh, problems. Michael, that's a really great, I guess, real-world example. So help us better understand the AquaLens report. When it comes back uh, to the grower, does, does it simply point out where you know some of the deficiencies are in this specific water uh, test? It does. It does, because what the AquaLens reports is takes the lab analysis from uh, Waypoint Laboratories, and what most people think of pH. You know, my pH is high, my pH is low, and i got to address that. But what we found, hardness, the amount of uh, calcium, magnesium, and other cations in the water, which you cannot see. It's clear water. There's, they can still be there. We think hardness is the most important trait. That is followed by pH, which is followed by iron, which is specific to certain products and carbonates, bicarbonates, sodium, and chloride. Um, that's that's the main. Uh, those are the things we look for on the sample. So when you get an AquaLens report back, if you look at it and your hardness is below 200, then Hardness, it's there, but it's not an issue because it's below uh, the threshold where you got to start using increased rates of water conditioners to address hardness. So hardness is under 200, look at pH. If the pH is over, I like things to uh, pH be below 6. Depending on what I'm spraying, it could be 5.8, or if I'm spraying something like glyphosate, I really need it down about... 2.8 or 3. So picking the correct water conditioner that will take the pH down where you need to be for that application. Um, so moving on down, <clears throat> the iron is a cation, but it's not widespread across our business unit. There are pockets of it. Um, and generally, if you got hard water, you probably got uh, potential for high iron and you address the hardness, you address the iron. The carbonates and bicarbonates, uh, if they're elevated, all you got to do is drop the pH. And, the, you know, like I told you earlier, they'll burp. Uh, sodium is a cation. It can be sequestered with some of the uh, um, water conditioners with sequestering agents like Quest, AccuQuest Interactive. And then chloride, it's usually associated with sodium, which it's more of a problem with irrigation water and salt. But if you have high enough salt content in the water um, that you're using as a spray uh, source for spraying pesticides, it, the salt can cause injury on its own that kind of mimics some herbicide injury, and it, it kind of confuses things. So just knowing that, um, you know, either A, if you've got real salty water, you might need to look at for another source. If you don't have an option, then you need to definitely take steps to uh, 
um, sequester the sodium or, or manage it as best you can so you minimize any uh, negative impact. I think you bring up a really good point. There's a lot of different, you know, challenges in our in, in our spray water, uh, depending upon where you live. Uh, you know, to your point earlier, if you're in some areas that may be a little higher in iron, you have some sodium, some carbonators. Uh, the long story short is everybody really, truly does need to test their water um, annually. Is that pretty accurate? Yes. I, I, unlike soil samples, which typically the recommendations is pull your soil samples every three years, <clears throat> especially, <clears throat> excuse me, especially for the large row crop um, like corn, soybeans, cotton, rice. But with water, because of you're in an area with a lot of rainfall, you end up diluting the problem since the water gets into the aquifers. You go west of I-35 in the western part of my territory, which is going through a drought right now. Um, your aquifer starts depleting and your problems get magnified. So to me, it's best to do a sample, depending on where you are in, in, in the geography, from January through as, as late as early March, pull the sample before you start spraying. So you get the Aqualens report back. Our salesman can sit with our customers and say, okay, you're going to be spraying glyphosate, so this is what we need to do. You're going to be spraying uh, glufosinate or Liberty. This is what you need to do. Um, end of the season, we're going to be spraying a defoliant, simethophon. We need to do this. So <clears throat> with that one sample, knowing what what is going to be sprayed or planned to be sprayed on all the crops that the uh, customer may have, sitting down with the customer in about an hour's time, you can map out what you need to do for each spray throughout the season to address the water issues because I've yet to find a uh, product that we sell that is not impacted by some trait in water. Some of it's not as as uh, harsh of of response as it would be with you know high carbonates and bicarbonates to clethodem or uh, very hard water is to glyphosate, but there's always something. Um, and in all the water samples that I've looked at over the course of my career with Helena, there's been one sample that. I question was it actually pulled out of a well, uh, out of the groundwater, because it was so perfect. Um, I mean, it was ideal, perfect pH, no carbs, no bicarbs. Uh, hardness was like 10 parts per million, which is nothing. There was no sodium, and I'm still not convinced they didn't pull a trick on me and use something, you know, like distilled water with something mixed with it. But um, most water samples um, have some something that is out of whack that needs to be addressed and you can't ignore it and because like if you get if i get called on a complaint with a herbicide first question i ask did you test the water did and the second was did if you didn't did you just as a uh, precaution use a water conditioner and if they say no to both of those a lot of times that's where i start looking because usually with most uh, herbicides if, if you didn't address the water, that leads to part of the problem on performance. So it's continuing education of the grower, 
um, helping keep our sales force and uh, agri-intelligence personnel trained up on what's the best solution for for that chemistry. Because we've gone beyond just testing the water. Is okay? Is Quest the best water conditioner for this product, or is Interactive, or is Diversify? Uh, so, so Michael, you know, how many should, should growers consider tra- testing their water a couple times a year based on, you know, mother nature and changes in the aquifer? No, um, it's usually, I would do it early in the year because of the, my understanding from the people that study water and soil relations, um, it takes almost a full year for what happened, like the rains that are happening in Collierville, Tennessee today. Um, the water from the rains probably will not be in the aquifer doing anything for months. Um, so they, the consensus is test it once a year. Um, same with irrigation water, once early in the season. The only time that I will personally make a recommendation to pull a water sample, if, if we've already had it, if we've got some weird complaint uh, either the pesticide's not working, um, the crop is responding weird, you know, after an irrigation event, uh, then we would test it because we would do other tests beyond the standard water conditioning. Uh, we might look for nitrates. We might, um, you know, one of the things you, we don't routinely look for is solids. Um, like if somebody uses Paraquat and they use a full rate and they get no kill. The first question I have is: there any clay content in the soil in the water? Because you can have some clay content and the water still look clear, but if there's any clay in the water sample, it binds immediately with Paraquat, and you're just spraying water. Um, so that would be the only time I would call for another another uh, sample to be pulled and analyzed. Michael, you know, Michael, one of the questions that we may get if you're a grower out there listening is, what what's the, what does an AquaLens test cost? What's my investment for that type of information? Good question, because that is probably the number one question I get, not only from uh, customers, but salesmen asking, like, and it's it's $65 is, is what we charge in our business unit. Um and somebody think, man, $65 for one sample, that's that's not worth it. But you got to put it in perspective. And if you use the analogy that I'm a 1,000-acre soybean, corn, cotton farmer, um, I'm not going to make one application across all those acres. I'm going to make multiple. So you, take, you divide $65 by 1,000 acres, so you're down to 65 cents. But if I'm making seven, eight, nine applications that season over that acre, you're talking fractions of a penny to have all the information to provide you the best insurance that you're going to make the most out of the pesticides and nutritionals that you're spraying. Um, And I don't know of any cheaper insurance a grower can have because, um, because of supply issues, the prices of, of the uh, herbicides, insecticides, and fungicides have moved up. But if you only get X amount of glyphosate and you don't have free amount and you only get to do one application per season, you better make that application count. 
So to me, $65 is really not even something to worry about. It's just a very sound investment in, in an operation to keep uh, our customers uh, profitable and doing what they love to do, grow crops and fiber for the Americans. You know, Michael, one of the myths that I hear, um, you know, from a lot of growers as well as sales reps talking over the time is, you know, I, I, I pull from a city source, you know, of water for my tank, uh, you know, spray water. Uh, I should be good. Um, that's not always the case, though, correct? No. Um, <clears throat> most uh, cities add stuff to the water to make it more, uh, I guess, healthy to drink. Um, for example, in Rolling Fork, Mississippi, there is something they add to the water that for whatever reason, when we put our uh, product Coron Metro 10B in there, it salts out. Do not know. I don't know what. I think it's a high load of fluoride because we tried to pin it down. But you go one mile outside of the city and go to a, a, a well, there's no issue. Um and then, like the sugarcane uh, area near Thibodeau, there's a lot of our customers that are on a uh, city water line. All the pH is high, and all of them have high carbonates. But it's city water. You can drink it. It's fine. But from a spraying standpoint, high pH, high carbonates is not good. So just because you're pulling city water, do not assume it's okay. The, the only water that would be okay to just use as is if you have a source of distilled water. Gotcha. Well, and that's that's obviously challenging to come by, you know, having that full distilled source all the time for spray tank water. But, uh, Michael, you bring up some really great points here uh, today, and, you know, especially during some of these, uh, I guess, supply-challenging times, it's important for growers to know exactly what's in their tank. And really the only way to do that is to use uh, use this AquaLens test from our agri-intelligence team to better understand what's inside of our tank in order that, you know, our team can make the best uh, recommendations for uh, a water conditioner that uh, or an agent that uh, might best fit that particular situation. So, um Michael, we want to thank you for your time and joining us here in FieldLink and bringing to our attention the importance of water and water quality. Um, we look uh, forward to having you join us again. And, uh, folks, uh, we encourage you to reach out to your Helena representative and ask for an AquaLens test as you prepare for your spring planting season and uh, get ready to apply your chemistry. Thank you very much, Bill. Hey, we're excited to have uh, Jody Lawrence joining us here today to give us a quick update from his perspective of what's going on in, in the grain markets. Uh, Jody, welcome to FieldLink. Thank you, Bill. Good to be back. All right. Hey, definitely an awful lot happening in the grain markets here uh, uh, this, this past week. And uh, we hit some highs in some, in some cases or come close to uh, some all-time highs in many cases in corn as well as cotton. Uh, Jody, what's, what's your perspective uh, in the grain markets today? You got uh, several things at work, even though corn pulled back a little bit today. Uh, you, you're really talking about the concern over the unusually cold, wet spring and the seemingly slow start that we're off to uh, in U.S. planting. Uh, you've got uh, a lot of speculative money 
still coming into the markets. Uh, I say speculative is more hedge money because we saw the March numbers were, you know, highest or the highest in 50 years. What's the wheat looking like uh, from your perspective? Wheat's up uh, about a dollar in the last two weeks uh, to the lowest ratings this week since 1996. And uh, uh, although that doesn't have the logic of why wheat would be down today, some some days are a little bit counterintuitive to the news, uh, and you're you're looking at just the the potentially very long tail of the Russian uh, invasion and occupation of Ukraine that really puts both of them as world producers and exporters uh, as a big question mark moving forward. And when you look at wheat having rallied back up to the high end of the range and uh, corn, uh, July corn and December corn have each made new contract highs both days this week. And I think December corn is 11 of the last 13 days has made new contract highs. So a lot going on. Beans are holding up and they've moved to uh, overnight and they closed a little higher today, but they came off those highs to the highs that we saw since the spike around the invasion. So all of them either at new contract highs or at the very top of the ranges since Russia invaded Ukraine. Well, that uh, that uh, invasion story continues to impact the grain markets. Uh, I heard the other day a report, uh, you know, I, I think from a food security standpoint, you know, uh, we're yet to really feel that impact. And that's probably somewhat reflective of these grain markets. But, you know, we don't always think about that here in the U.S. where, uh, you know, countries like Africa, where they've, uh, Egypt, I heard the other day, 44% of the wheat that's imported in Egypt comes from Ukraine as well as Russia. That's certainly going to impact, you know, their food security as we look into, uh, you know, 22, as well as uh, Somalia was well over 90%. 90%. So certainly a, a lot of chaos in, in, in the wheat market today. And then we couple it with some tough markets in, in, in the West, or I should say growing uh, conditions in, in Western United States. Yeah, certainly a, a lot of factors going on. And I think for uh, they, they will continue to play an importance with now you kind of shuffle the deck a little bit with certainly U.S. planting weather over the next two to three weeks being at the top of it. An- another story today, because uh, uh, China is having uh, their uh, lockdown periods because their uh, their policy is zero percent tolerance for uh, COVID and the restrictions and their lockdowns cause the International Monetary Fund to come out today with lower than expected projections for China's and world economic growth. And if you take China uh, as a possible, uh, see a slowdown in their economy, that means a slowdown of their raw material use, which goes across the board, not just corn and beans, but it, you know, everything else. So, you know, some cross currents right here, but uh, it's uh, certain it, none of this points towards a long-term downtrend that all these can, that, the markets, you know, tightness has been solved. Still a really good opportunity for growers, you know, to take some positions in some cases and, uh, you know, certainly uh, encourage them to reach out to you or to, uh, uh, you know, their, their, their trading advisors to uh, keep on top of this ever evolving uh, marketplace. 
Yeah, there's uh, we have had discussions every day with farmers. They look up at the board and know that they can get eight dollar cash crop. And in a lot of cases, uh, you can you could get over seven fifty cash new crop for fall delivery. And they're just scratching their heads thinking, what am I doing? Not selling. And but the, the hard reality of it is this, you know, there is a lot of indecision up here because just like 2012 and 13, uh, you see the opportunity, but you also don't want to be left in the dust if we end up going back to cool, wet conditions and the crop goes in more slowly than expected. Uh, and then we get a pollination issue or, you know, any number of things. The next thing you know, you see a, a nine and an eight in front of old crop and new crop corn and you see beans making new all-time highs at, you know, $18, $19 that you want to be responsible, but you also don't want to just let history dictate what you're doing and uh, really these kind of once in a lifetime situations in these markets. All right. Well, Jody, we want to uh, thank you for joining us here uh, this week on FieldLink. And uh, if uh, folks need to reach out to you, how can they uh, contact you? Well, get uh, get in touch with your local Helena uh, out, uh, retail outlet and uh, your salesperson, and we can get you added to the newsletter. And all my contact information is uh, on the bottom of the newsletter. All right. Jody, thanks again for joining us here on Field Link, Field Link this week. And uh, uh, appreciate your time. All right. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. And good afternoon, everyone, and uh, welcome to Field Link. I'm your host, Bill Smith. We're really excited today uh, to be uh, recording here uh, with our division agronomist, uh, agrointelligence agronomist, Luis Benevito. Benevite. Benvenuti. Benvenuti. I'm going to get my Spanish down here shortly. Uh, well, Luis is uh, uh, an agronomist uh, for uh, the desert uh, region and uh, the Western Business Unit out in uh, California and uh, Arizona. And uh, he's joining us here today. Um, and we're really excited to have him here. You know, for over 20 years, agrointelligence has uh, been really the cornerstone for Helen Agri Enterprises. And a lot of folks don't really realize that, that uh, our precision platform or precision data platform has been around that long. And we're certainly committed to coming up with different tools uh, for growers, uh, for, for all crops across the entire country. And, you know, growers in the West, uh, specifically in the desert region, have unique needs, uh, especially in, in, in the year 22 when there's been, uh, you know, some announcements with, uh, you know, different challenges uh, uh, across some states. The state of Arizona, for example, just announced uh, last fall that uh, there's going to be a reduction of about 20% uh, uh, water, which can be drawn from the Colorado River. And, you know, in this region, uh, it's a major source of irrigation for growers, and it's a critical thing and uh, for, for producers in this geography. And uh, today, you know, Agri-intelligence certainly has a tool, some several tools that uh, can help us in that area. But uh, uh, before we get going too far, uh, I want to introduce Luis and uh, bring him in here. And uh, Le- Luis, glad to have you here on uh, FieldLink. So at least tell us a little bit about you. Where's, where's home? Tell us your story. What's your journey? How did you end up with Helena in, uh, in Arizona? Hey, thank you, Will, for having me. Well, I'm originally from Puerto Rico. I, I grew up in tropical farming. When I say tropical farming, I mean coffee, plantains, banana. Um, I went to college, University of Puerto Rico at Maya West. I did a degree in mechanical act technology. 
Um, after I graduated from college in 2013, I moved to the United States to work for Bayer Crop Science okay. as a breeder assistant. And from there, uh, I worked with them for five years. And while working with Bayer, I did a master in computer science. When I finished my master, that's when I moved with Helena. Uh, I became the division agronomist with Helena for in 2018. And been covering the desert area, which is goes from Tucson, Arizona, all the way to Riverside County in California. Wow. Uh, how I got in agriculture, where basically I, I grew up around coffee, trees, bananas, planting since I was, you know, a little kid. And I, I have passion for this. This is what I said. This is what I want to do. I never imagined myself working in the desert, different crops, nothing here is similar to what I have back home. But yeah, very fortunate to be in this area growing pretty much over 200 crops. Wow, it's uh, that that's quite a story, quite a journey uh, from Puerto Rico uh, all the way out to uh, the desert area now. Uh, so, tell us a little bit back back home. Uh, multiple crops you mentioned: coffee and bananas. And uh, did you grow up on a farm, or were you actively involved in that area, the agriculture? My family have a little farm, and um, yes, so yeah. we. I, I grew up in a farming operation. Small, but. Basically, it was about five acres, but when we, you talk about tropical farming, five acres mean is, is a lot. Yeah. Wow. And that's far different from where you're at today in the desert region from probably how many inches of rain did you have in Puerto Rico where you typically year? In the area where I grew, we get around 100 inches of rain per year. 100 inches of rain. Oh, my goodness. Well, and from 100 to 7. To, to 7 or, or inches less. <laughs> or less than a year. It just depends on the, you know, we get a one storm a year or so uh, throughout the desert region. Well, that's exciting. Uh, certainly a lot of experience there, Luis. You know, one of the things that you're charged with is helping lead and guide um, uh you know, a lot of folks in our field and uh, uh, specifically on the agronomy side of our business and, and our agri-intelligence platform. California and Arizona are a little bit different in terms of who can actually make recommendations compared to other parts of the country. You have a PCA, uh, which is a pest control advisor uh, license, correct? That This is this is requirement for anybody that's making uh a recommendation in these states, and uh, it's far different than the rest of the country. Can you expand on some of the, I guess, processes to become a PCA uh, in these states? Yeah, sure. Um, so here we're heavily regulated by the states, both California and, and Arizona. So to be able to write a pesticide prescription here for any given crops, you have to be licensed by the state. It required a lot of continual education. You need to have certain classes or, or a degree. Um, and it's just basically you're responsible for all the pest control in that field for the season. And you have to meet food safety criteria, you have to meet state criteria, and then you have to make sure that that crop is safe for human consumption. You're 100% responsible as a PCA to take that crop from zero to harvest during the season. Wow, that's a lot of responsibility. So that PCA is 100% responsible. And I assume they have a lot of reports to manage and oversee, um, and, which is overseen by the state, right? In California, it's, it's uh, you know, managed one way. Arizona is probably a little bit different, but uh, they're very well rela- regulated, rather, uh, by those states. Yep, you've got to keep up with food safety audits, state audits, um, sprays, jobs. So everything is audited in this market. 
Wow. Uh, That's very unique to, you know, other parts of the country where, you know, they're not as heavily regulated like that, uh, you know, and and it definitely requires a lot of attention. And, you know, one of the things that I know you, uh, along with some of your colleagues, have uh, been introducing recently is some different tools uh, from our agri-intelligence platform to help those PCAs uh, become, I guess, more confident and help them best manage some of those crops. Can you share with some of Share, share with the group uh, here some of those tools that are... Sure. Um, so we've been working well. The diseases that heavily impact us during the winter season. The main crop that we grow here from the month from September all the way to March is lettuce. Okay. And he- lettuce uh, is heavily infected by downy mildew. It's a, it's a disease that you have to stay on top of the crop. Basically, you have to walk that field on a daily basis looking for it. It's very exhausting. It's, it's very time-consuming. And if you don't stay on top, if you don't stay on top of it, um, all of a sudden you can come next morning and then now you have a, a crop that is infected. So we've been working for the last three years a project that is basically we're trying to forecast downy mildew before it happens. And we're doing this for onions and lettuce. And what we're trying to do is give these PCAs a source of data that they can use to pair that with their scouting. So in that way, if if the data is telling them you're going to have an infection in the next three, four days, they can take a decision even before they see the disease in the field. Mm -hmm. And this is a novel tool that we're developing, we're testing, and it's it's going to help them time pesticide application better, be up on the front of the disease, instead of following it. Well, it's, uh, that's exciting stuff. So really you're looking at predictive prescriptions in some cases, you know, trying to predict, oh, we anticipate that downy moldo in this case in the lettuce field could be coming in the next few weeks to, or next few days in some cases for that grower. How, how will that um, information really I guess kind of changed the game for our PCAs, our agronomists, our, our field folks, as well as our growers. Well, basically, you you you're gonna be more you're gonna be working or targeting those spray jobs with more precision. You're gonna eliminate some of the guessing, and it's just about we're gonna be more precise. So at yeah. the end, we should have more successes, right? In so that field, having that information ahead of the potential uh, in disease in this case uh, or, or fungus, fun, fungus moving in to uh, try to get ahead of it, maybe to curve it off a little bit with some different, you know, uh, fungicides and so forth to manage that particular crop. That's exciting stuff. So um, in addition to that type of technology, uh, we were chatting earlier and, you know, some of the things that we talked with other growers around this area, soil testing is extremely important and a high ground. Uh, Tell us, high ground is, you know, Helena's platform for soil testing. Can you tell us a little bit about how important and and what kind of impact high ground is bringing to uh, this particular market in the desert? That's the most heavily used solution that we, we we use here in the in the desert because we are in high saline soil. So basically, you were talking about water. Our water here has a lot of salts. And that's a problem for the grower because you have to, it's not only 
the nutrients, you also have to mitigate those salts before you put a crop in the ground. Otherwise, you're going to have yield reduction, quality reductions. So with high ground, we can go there before we even plant that crop in the field. We can do the proper diagnosis, do the correct amendment, and prepare that ground correctly for the crop that is coming next. In that way, it's easy to fix or provide a solution before you have a crop in the ground. Because once you have the crop in the ground, there is just so little that we can do. So that's how we use high ground. We use that as a, as a pre-planning tool, trying to mitigate all those problems that are going to affect the crop in the season. But we do this prior to planting that crop. And high ground is that tool that provides us the data to go and target, measure, measure, target, and and take an action on what we need to do to make sure that ground is ready for that crop that is coming. So high ground is, is a very important tool here that we use to manage soils. Uh, with the high ground report, um, you know, <clears throat> soil testing has been around for some time, but it, it really makes, I guess, a, a lot of uh, science simple is, is the way I like to utilize this. Uh, how, how does the high ground report really help our salespeople communicate that information to the grower? Well, it, it basically it provides so many layers of information, but um, what we do with this report is we got so many solutions that we can utilize to solve a problem. And it really allows us to identify the correct solution. We use those reports, we go through, we talk to the customer, we anticipate the problems. And by anticipating the problems, then we compare that with a, with a specific solution that we had to put in that field to solve the problem. So without that data, I know I'm going to have a salt problem or sodium problem, but I don't know specifically what should I be doing to mitigate that. Right. So having that data, that report prior to it, then going through our solutions that we have from HPG, we can go and pair that with the correct solution. And that, that all takes place on the front end, right? Before that grower decides to, you know, put that uh, lettuce or, or uh, onion or whatever whatever crop. And, and speaking of crops, you guys have a lot of crops in this region as well as uh, Southern California. How many crops uh, do, do you really kind of, are you responsible for, you know, having some familiarity with? Around 200. 200 crops. Oh, in the top three or four would be what? It would be lettuce, celery, broccoli, wow. carrots. Yeah. And, and I think you roll into some melons, too, in some markets. Of course, grapes. Uh, well, dates. I heard guys talking about dates the other day. Oh, my gosh. You got all kinds of uh, crops that uh, I imagine you're studying uh, agronomy books uh, every night to keep up with those 200 crops. It is hard to keep up because every crop is different. And, yeah, you have to learn all those crops from top to bottom Yeah, to be able to provide the correct solutions. Well, and I think that's one of the nice things about some of the uh, platform uh, tools that we have in the agri-intelligence platform is uh, in that portfolio of tools. It really takes a lot of the guessing out of, you know, trying to make things simple uh, for not just, you know, our Helena reps, but also for the grower because there's so much complexity there, especially with 200 crops trying to manage all the, you know, different, uh, you know, nutritional needs and, and uh, so forth. Um, wow. That, that's, that's certainly a lot of crops to manage. Uh, another tool that uh, is in the toolbox uh, with agrointelligence is inspects. And, you know, your PCAs are very engaged in that side of, uh, of the business. Can you share with us some of the things specifically in the desert? Uh, what's, 
really, you know, needed with the uh, inspects program and some of the things, unique things that you guys are looking at, um, specifically around some of the traps and so forth uh, that you might be evolving with. Well, another thing that we do under under the impact solution portfolio, we, we do irrigation management. You talk about water. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's a big tool that we're using right now to help those growers to, to help them use water efficiently. So we don't have more water. We still need to produce the same crops. And doing irrigation management for them, it, it helps us provide them like how much, how much water they really need to put in that field. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we use um, a lot of weather data. We process that. And, and then on a weekly basis, we, we forecast like how much water they're going to actually need for that week in that way. They can save some, some water in there and, and still produce a good crop. Um, another thing that we do under the Impex brand, we do um, pest forecasting. We're, more, uh, we're working with models to forecast pest outbreaks. Okay. So in that way, we can also be more precise again with our pesticide applications. And we could be from one to two months ahead of that pest oh, wow. without even, before even showing the field. So, so, so for example, Kahin, to predict there could be some type of an insect outbreak? Is, is that what you're referring to or some uh, fungus? Um, I'm talking more, more about insects. So okay. we're talking when we trap that moth. Okay. Um, we have, uh, we're working on some projects to, to automate the, the trapping mm-hmm. of this moth. And then from there, we start counting the, the heat units. So okay. we could be, we could forecast like how many days or actually months it's going to take for that moth to be developed and show in the field as a worm. So in that way, we can be, we know when we have to be looking for it. Right. Or if we're going to be proactive, we could target a spray job before that worm shows in the field. So kind of going backwards, we're trying to identify, hey, we see the moths now and based on mother nature, they could be actively feeding in two weeks, 10 days, whatever, depending, whatever species. We're just trying to be ahead of everything. Right. Yeah. Well, there's certainly a lot of complexity, especially in some high value crops that you're involved with. Um, uh, much different than a lot of our, our, our customers that have row crops, you know, uh, but uh, definitely a lot of different diseases that are impacting because it's not just about yield. It's also very much about quality. Um, you know, talking to some of the sales reps and as well as growers in this region, uh, you're paid for yield, of course, but boy, if that quality doesn't make back. Uh, it doesn't make it to the market. It doesn't go to the market. That's right. Wow. Well, uh, for sure, uh, that is definitely uh, some interesting areas. And of course, water management, as, as we opened it in the opening, um, you know, with, with some of the general reductions in water across the nation, uh, specifically off the Colorado River, impacting your market here in Arizona and California, having that uh, information at your hands, at your fingertips in a lot of cases, uh, helping growers, you know, manage their his or her water is very, very critical. Um, some other technologies that have definitely uh, caught a lot of attention recently is just d- different ways of managing stand counts for different crops. Uh, what are some things that you and your team are, you know, exploring in this area right now? Where we are exploring, we, we're, we've been talking about vegetables and vegetable. Some criteria that is very important to know if that vegetable is going to make it to market or not is sizing. Okay, sizing, sizing. Early in the season, you need to have the right sizing. So we're providing, we're working with some analytics okay. where we can actually measure the sizing of some some crops like lettuce, broccoli, and in that way we can provide that layer information to the grower and we can compare that to different varieties, different 
regions of the field where we're growing and and we, we it's not about it's not just only about yield. You know, we have to also make sure that that crop is is growing correctly. So Yes, and we're working on that too. So, so when you talk about slicing, and I, I think I, I understand this, there would be like, okay, if I have a head of lettuce, it has to be this, you know, specific diameter, this specific size, and a lot of that has to do with packaging or requirements that the buyers, in this case, it could be a grocery store chain or a, a packer, would require. Is that correct? Yes, and it has to do a lot with logistics. So when these crews are coming to harvest in the field, you cannot have too many different sizes. Okay. Because that means they're going to have to skip so many plants, and then that's, that's another cost that is, is added to the growers. So we're trying to have the most even crop across the whole block. Okay. And that way it can be harvested even, evenly. Okay, so so when when that crop is ready, it's everything's uniform, and we can send the crew through and harvest it all at the same time versus harvesting, you know, 80% of it uh, on one day and coming back two or three days later for the other 20%. Yeah, that's very costly to do. So we go early in the season, we measure that sizing uh, using some analytics that we have. And that way we, we we can measure we're growing that crop evenly or not. And if we still have time, we can, we can make some corrections in there. Through different uh, nutritionals or different fertilizers, that sort of thing. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Well, that's definitely an exciting area. And what type of technologies are you utilizing to help mm, discover this sizing at this time? We're using currently high-resolution imagery. Okay. And then we use a third-party provider to do the analytics. And I assume your team sits down with the grower uh, after capturing this data to, you know, uh, sit down with him or her to really make some of those decisions to observe, uh, you know, their findings. Is that correct? Yeah, if we find a problem, definitely we sit with the grower, we go discuss it and say, this is the action that we need to take to make sure this gets corrected on time. Wow, it's very proactive. Well, um, Luis, uh, a lot of exciting things happening uh, here in uh, this part of California and Arizona uh, as it relates to agronomy and agrointelligence. It's a very evolving field, um, especially with some of the unique crops, these 200 crops that you have uh, to observe observe and uh, and work with uh, in this very unique market. Luis, we want to thank you for joining us here today at FieldLink and sharing your story, sharing uh, a little bit of insight uh, in this part of the country uh, as, uh, you know, we we make our journey around the country, learning more and more about different crops and some of the people that are involved in helping them grow. So I want to thank you. Well, thank you for having me. We want to thank all of you for joining us on this episode of FieldLink. Be sure you subscribe and uh, join us uh, on all of the platforms that are most comfortable for you. And you can now listen to us on YouTube, as well as follow us on social media to stay in tune with the latest information from Helena as it relates to your farm, your field, and your acre. Thanks for joining us.